So I go to the three day and I see you on stage. And I remember one of the first things you said, or maybe it was Todd who said it, you have to kind of come here with an open mind. Forget about everything you think you know and come here with an open mind. And I said, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to forget that I know real estate. I'm going to forget that I'm a real estate agent. I'm just going to come with an open mind. By the end of that first day, that Friday, I was like begging to be seen because I'm like, I need to sign up. This is amazing. This is wonderful. This is great. Welcome to the Cashflow for Life podcast. We believe there are two types of people in this world. People that have greater cash flow coming in every single month or people who have cash flow going out. We believe you need to be the type of person that has cash flow coming in, and that is what this podcast is all about. Our mantra is simple. If you take care of real estate for the first five years, real estate will take care of you for the rest of your life. If you're looking to achieve financial freedom through real estate investing, you're in the right place. Andrew Holmes, a renowned expert in the field, is your guide on this journey. Andrew is the driving force behind National RE Invest, the largest real estate investors association in the United States. Together, we're here to help you build wealth and create more cash flow in your life. Let's get into the show. With us, Miss Gina, it's all about cash flow, right? That's so, right. welcome to the show. And uh, let's jump right into it. Right? Sure. So, we do a lot of business with you. By yes. we, I mean not only just me, uh, the entire team, but everybody from Mastery. But I want to kind of jump uh, right into it. Why? Why are you here as the right attorney? Well, I think you just answered it. I am the right attorney. Okay. <laughs> but I think more importantly, I do a lot of deals with investors, right? And by doing that, I have learned a lot, you know, as to how, what to look for when someone, an investor comes to me. And you know what, Andrew, there's a lot of attorneys out there, right? There's a lot, like, I'm not going to say I'm the best attorney because I kind of cringe. There's a lot of good attorneys, right? Yeah, there's a lot of... I cringe when I hear attorneys say that because I'm like, according to who? But there are certain areas that you have an attorney that's right for. For example, if someone comes to me with a tax issue, I'm an attorney, but I don't do tax law, so I'm not going to do that. If your mom is sick and she needs a heart surgery, are you going to take her to a dentist or are you going to want to take her to a cardiologist? They're all doctors, right? But one specializes in the other. Me and my firm, we have gotten the specialty of working with investors. That's because you're working with difficult deals. Very difficult very deals. Very difficult yes. deals. And by difficult, like a lot of investors have special needs, right? They may be doing a lot of off-market they may be uh, doing properties that are foreclosures. They're, uh, they have problems. They have a lot of issues, right? Correct. So over the years, right, you have obviously, you're doing hundreds and hundreds of transactions with investors. And uh, you work with some of the top investors in Chicago. And would you say that has grown your skill set that has a lot of the stuff that you'll never learn just doing regular deals, right? Oh, absolutely. If you're an attorney licensed to practice in whatever state, that means you went to law school. That means that you learned the law to an extent, right? In law school, they teach you the basics, how to be an attorney, but you don't actually become a good attorney, much less the right attorney, until you actually get that practice. Over the past three and a half, four years, I have gotten the practice of working with a lot of investors that have very like difficult deals from anything from like can't even find get a hold of the buyer because or the seller because they're not returning our calls to like we need a, to get a death certificate we need to like find the heirs I mean we've even gone internationally where we've had to find people in Europe and other places that's how difficult some of the deals are and 
I'm not saying that, oh, my God, I'm an expert at that. But every time I do it, I learn something more. So when I have clients that come to me with subject to deals with like, you know, owner finance or, you know, whatever type of creative uh, deal they have, I kind of already have an idea. And the more we do it, the more we get better at it. So and, and I'm never one to back away from a challenge. I'll say this for sure, that a lot of times it's not clients kill deals. It's uh, the real estate agents and attorney kills uh, deals. See, the real estate agent's job is to do the best uh, that is for their clients. The attorney's job is to do the best. A lot of times the egos and I know everything gets in the way. And a good attorney's job is supposed to be not a problem creator, but a problem solver. That right? is correct. How do I get this done within the bounds of the law, within what you want to do, right? And get them done at speed without, like, I mean, I don't want you to call me 10 times. Only times I want you to call me is whenever uh, there's an actual problem and exactly what I need done, correct. right? And then it's your job to go figure it out and get it done for me properly so I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, and that's correct. You know, I, I'm glad you said it that way because I always tell people, like, an attorney, we got a license to solve people's problems. Right. You know, that's that's what an attorney is at the end of the day. Whatever the problem is, either I can help you solve it or I can t- tell you who can. You know, we specialize in that. So you're right. You bring me the deal. It's my job to get to where you tell me to get. Even with you, how many fights have we had over deals sometimes because you're so stubborn in some ways and I have to like kind of be like, no, you're going to lose money this way because my job is to get you to where you said you're going to get. And even if you want to send in your own way, I'm not going to let you. A good attorney's job is to basically help you. A great attorney's job is to help you make a lot of money, especially as it relates to real estate is at times, right? Uh, You know, I've gotten stuck on deals and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go after the seller. I want to sue the seller, right? And because sometimes it's my ego and sometimes because I think I'm right, I just want to prove a point. And uh, a lot of times you've been that voice of sanity that, hey, yeah, maybe you're right, but does is it really worth it? Right. right? Is it really worth creating a problem when we can just basically move on and do better things? Because you're not going to win in the thing. Right. So I want to kind of roll the clock back, right, a little bit. Did you always have plans? I'm going to go to a law school, go to a big uh, private academy uh, for your uh, schooling, and then go to a big Ivy League school. How did you end up here today? Well, let's start off with the fact that I um, was born in Mexico, right? Mm -hmm. I came here when I was about six years old with my parents who are immigrants, and they have a lot of hopes and dreams for me, right? Everyone comes here for a reason. They want to live the American dream. They want their kids to do better. And I was doing great, but then 19 and pregnant. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so at 19 years old, you get pregnant. Yes. Okay. And my culture, I'm Mexican. That's kind of like you're done. That's it. You know, like go, go get married and start having more kids and, you know, be happy with a nine to five and call it a day. But I knew there's no way. That's not how I'm built. And that's not how my parents taught me. And I saw the effort, the the struggle that it took for them to get here. I'm going to get the American dream because it's achievable. You just have to work at it. Right. So. After finding myself in that situation. So I have a question before we move on. Why? Why not be pregnant? You're pregnant at 19 and Jocelyn, your daughter. And by the way, congratulations. She's in law school. now. Yes. What was it that you said? Well, no, I have other hopes and dreams because most people at 19, it would be like, oh, my God, I'm thrilled or oh, my God, I made a mistake. What was your reaction? My reaction was like, oh, my God, I made a mistake, (laughs) you know, because I didn't plan on being pregnant at 19. I had always mapped out 
for myself that I knew I wanted something more. I wanted the American dream, you know, like, and in my mind, I knew what that looked like. And then you find yourself with struggles or with obstacles. And, you know, again, that's how I realized I wanted to go to law school because I was so like quick at solving those issues. So did you have a lot of friends, family that were lawyers that were in the legal profession? What is it that you said, okay, I'm going to be a lawyer? Thank you for asking that. Nobody in my in my family had ever even graduated high school. Okay. So I was like, I just, I had graduated high school. I went to college for like a one year secretarial type of trade. So I was working downtown as a secretary, wasn't making bad money at the time for a 19 year old. Why not just stop there? Right. Um, but no, I didn't want to stop there. I knew that I wanted more. And then also, you know, the more I got into like working at a professional place, seeing the possibilities, the more I wanted. So nobody in my family had graduated from like even my parents didn't go to school. Like my mom can read and write Spanish. My dad can't even read Spanish. So that's how low level education we had. And here I am with my big American dream saying I want to go to law school. So I want to fast forward, right? You go to law school. Um, at the same time, you're raising your daughter, your mom is helping, the whole thing, right? right? You become a lawyer. Now you were running a successful law firm, Correct. right? And then you have two other daughters, yes. right? At that time, um, were you buying a lot of real estate? What were you doing at that time? No. Um, so I became a real estate agent while I was studying for the bar because, okay. you know, I needed to work. I can't just not work because I had a daughter to take care of. And, you know, I don't come from a family who can provide for me like that. So a friend of mine suggested, why don't you become a realtor? You know, that's something you can do while you're studying for the bar. So I did. And I thank God that summer I, I closed on two deals that got me through. But I had no interest in real estate, like, to be honest with you. I went to law school thinking I'm going to be one of those big top, you know, criminal defense lawyers. And I'm going to be a great uh, family law lawyer. But everyone in my surroundings kept asking me about real estate and immigration. And I was like, those are the two things I don't want to do. But lo and behold, those are the two things that I ended up doing and focusing my energy on. So the first thing was immigration, because I felt as an immigrant myself, I kind of had a responsibility. And that became a lot of the focus of my practice. And you understood the struggle. My husband was also a realtor at the time. So then we just thought, well, it kind of makes sense. We both have a real estate license. Why not open up our own real estate company? And it was during the time of the 2008-2009 crash that, you know, so many people came with these loan modifications. And we, you know, were able to do them. So I was doing a lot of foreclosure defense, a lot of loan modifications, a lot of short sales. So that's how kind of like the real estate aspect of the firm grew. And obviously my husband was a practicing realtor. So anything he came in through, that's how we were. That's kind of what we were doing at the time. And it worked. It was, you know, it got me from a little tiny office to open up my own firm, which I'm so grateful for. But that's not where it stopped. Okay. So uh, what happens, right? Your practice is going really well at the time. You were on the radio spending a lot of money. Um, and what was the transition? And then I remember there's an incident that happened, right? Uh, when you're on top of the world. Yeah. What was that? So I'm like on top of the world. I'm like, this is great. Like firms doing great. Everything's going, you know, business is coming. I'm on the radio. I do like a radio show every weekend. Then I find myself at a hospital um, where the doctor comes in and tells me that I have ovarian cancer. And then it's in my brain, it was like everything I ever worked for just came crumbling down. So uh, what? how old were you? Now you're 27, but at the time, how old were you? <laughs> I was 33 at the time. 33, yeah. okay. Um, I had just had my last daughter. It hadn't even been a year that she was born. Okay, 
So 33 years old and you have ovarian cancer, yeah. right? Did ever the thought that, oh my God, I may not be here for the three kids I have, for the parents, because you were basically taking care of everybody financially. Yeah, right? that's exactly what happened. I am an only child. Um, so there is another reason why I needed to come my parents what they intended. Because and they did not have a retirement plan. No, right. Not at I all. mean, this is old school, right? Yes, Let's just be yes. they barely had enough to put you through right. school, help you through whichever way they could. You right. took loans, right? And culturally, they helped you raise your daughters, you supported them. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? Correct. I mean, this is just reality of life. Correct. Okay. Ironically, three months prior to me finding out I had cancer. Me and my husband had just gotten life insurance. The minute the doctor, so like, I want you guys to picture this. Cause you know, like when I tell this, it, it, it seems so surreal. So I'm sitting in the hospital bed. I had a five pound tumor in my left ovary that uh, ruptured it. So they had to take my left ovary out. They didn't know if it was cancer yet or not. Doctor comes in uh, after three days with the biopsy and he says, you know, you're gonna have to go see an oncologist because it ended up being cancer. Right when the doctor tells me that, like, you can't make this up. It's like out of a movie. My mom, my husband, and my oldest daughter walks in. And I didn't even have the time to really grieve or process that because I'm looking at them. My mom's like fainting. My daughter's crying. My husband has this look of like, what the hell? And the first thing that came into my mind is, oh, my God, what about them? Because in my mind, I'm like, well, cancer, I must be dying. But what about them? Like, who's going to take care of them? Who's going to take care of my daughter? Who's going to take care of my parents? You know, my husband's going to be left with these two little kids that because we we had two more daughters that were still really young. That's all I could think of. And then I'm at the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, well, I have that life insurance. Thank God. But that's only a million dollars. Like, it sounds like a lot, but it really isn't if you split it up among all those people. When I realized that after, thank God, cancer's gone, everything's great, that I had this mentality of like, I got to get my retirement plan. I can't just keep working you know, at, at the firm and just keep like, okay, this is great, but where is my retirement plan? I don't have a 401k. I don't have like anything that could really be like, okay, if I die today, everyone's set. Makes sense. So I'm going to fast forward that, right? So you go back to law, practicing law, because that's what you know, right? And somehow about three and a half, four years ago, you end up at the three day with us. Yes. Right. Um, now you're practicing lawyer. And I've said this, that people who are in the industry, meaning you take brokers, mortgage brokers, real estate agents, attorneys, title people, they deal with real estate every single day, like right. every single day. And guess what? They own the least amount of real estate, right? Uh, they own the least amount of real estate. And this is a national statistic, right? About 8% of the U.S. population, 8 to 9% of the U.S. population owns rental properties, Yet amongst the people who are in the industry, it's less than 4%. It's going to make a few people mad, which is okay. I'm just talking about reality. Most real estate agents are broke. Most mortgage brokers are broke. And by broke, I mean not that they don't make good amount of money, right? Today, most of them make pretty decent money. Right. But broke is if you make 50000 and you spend it all, it's called broke at the end of the year. If you make 200000 you spend it all, it's called broke at the end of the year, Correct. right? You're just broker when you make more money because now you have bigger problems. When you make less, you can do with less, right? That was a hard pill. But yet most attorneys, most people who are in the profession have the largest egos. Oh my God, I know everything mm -hmm. and I'm not going to go to some three day. They're going to try to sell me something. What was your attitude when you walked in? 
Well, that's funny that you say that because uh, my my friend uh, Nancy Villacorta, who's also part of the of the mastery that I'm in, um, she's she came to me at a at one of these uh, National Association of Hispanic Realtors event, and she said, "I want to invite you to this three day." And I, not that I have an ego, I do not have an ego. I come from very humble, and I want to stay that way. Um, but I said to her, Nancy, if you make me go to this three day, which was a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and they're gonna ask me for $50,000 and give me a DVD and an 800 number. I'm going to bill you because those were my most productive days at the firm, right? And she said, no, no, trust me. It'll blow your mind away. Because she knew that me and my husband were, were wanted to get into investing. And prior to that, the only investing we did was the building where my law office is at, which we bought. And then we thought we have to, you know, wait another 10 years to save up another 100000 to get another property. Wasn't really an investment or at least a cash flowing investment because we occupy the whole building. So Yes, we're paying off the mortgage, but we're not getting any money out of it in that sense, right? So I go to the three-day, and I see you on stage, and I remember one of the first things you said, or maybe it was Todd who said it, you have to kind of come here with an open mind. Forget about everything you think you know and come here with an open mind. And I said, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to forget that I know real estate. I'm going to forget that I'm a real estate agent. I'm just going to come with an open mind. By the end of that first day, that Friday, I was like begging to be seen because I'm like, I need to sign up. This is amazing. This is wonderful. This is great. Only thing that I was really confused about was when you talked about wholesales, because just like you said, that would happen. It happened. I thought to myself, oh my God, what is he doing? That's impossible. You can't do that. And that was actually one of the best things that I started doing. Which is wholesales. Wholesales, right. yeah. What was your impression of wholesales? And you were a practice as an attorney. Yeah. You ran an office. You had attorneys working in your office for right. you, yeah. right, as a mm-hmm. part of your team, mm-hmm. right? What was your impression at that time of wholesale? I thought, oh, my God, that's illegal. You're basically telling people to practice real estate without a license, and they can't do that. You know, like, oh, my God, like, I want to believe in this problem. I want to sign up for it, but he's saying something that's not right. right. How do you buy a property for a hundred thousand, which you don't even own? You have under contract, and you wholesale it and make thirty thousand bucks. Right. I was right? like, there's got to be some kind of fraud there, right? Because right. like, be something there's wrong. there's something wrong. So I went home that day and I kind of like did my own research. I had not prior to you saying it, I had never heard the term wholesale as it relates to real estate. I had never heard that. I I didn't even know what that was. And the way Andrew was explaining it, I was like, that cannot be legal. This guy is like lying. Forget it. This is crap. I'm not going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then I just remember, Andrew, keep an open mind. I went and I did my own research and I was like, what have I been doing with my life? Okay, got it. So I want to fast forward, right? I want to fast forward a little bit uh, farther along. Uh, It's been about three and a half to four years today. Yes. Right. Personally, how many properties do you guys own today? Um, We own about 50 properties Today. 50 houses today. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you realize that you can say that with a straight face. You couldn't count till 50 when we met and as it relates to properties. And yeah. I'm obviously being yeah, yeah. facetious, for but sure. you get my point, right? Well, yeah. I mean, when when I signed up for your program and I started, you know, doing it, I, I wanted five properties. That was my goal. I'm like, I want, I have three daughters, one for each daughter, one for my parents and one for us. And that will be my retirement. I would be very happy with that. And fast forward three and a half years. And I mean this legitimately. So before I say this, I'm going to kind of go back because uh, what Miss Gina was, was, uh, I mean, I'll never forget this, right? The red bottom shoes, the right (laughs) clothes, 
all the stuff, yes. right? I mean, you had all the stuff to show for it. But my question, and this is a question we all have to ask ourselves. Right? But that was all superficial. What do you, Ms. Gina, I don't care because you literally had, I don't remember what the number was at the time, a million, million two coming in mm -hmm. and a million, million two going out, if right. not 1.4 million going out. Literally what your top line is, it means nothing, right? I mean, if you make million and a half dollars and you spend 1.4 and now you're struggling to pay your bills. Every month is a stressful month because at the end of the month comes before, I mean, your bank account runs out before the end of the month. And at the time you'd be like, oh my God, Andrew, don't talk about this in front of anybody because you thought you were the only one. Yeah. Correct. Right. That this only happens to Gina Diaz. Nobody else faces the same issue. Right. right. But yet today we talk about it openly because what you realize is that you realize 99.9% .9 of Americans, at least 99%, are exactly where you were. Yep. You just had managed to figure out how to make a lot of money and spend it to spend <laughs> it faster than it came. Yeah. Right. Yet to have 50 properties a day. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous amount. Yet, are you close to your goal? No. No. Why not? My goal for this year is to be debt-free. And, you know, we're doing a couple of flips to accomplish that. Oh, but, I just having said that. You just closed on a flip. We were just talking about that. Yes. Right? How much, did, how much did you guys make? About 86, 87,000. 86, 87,000 yeah. bucks. Okay, got it. So congratulations, yeah. right? Thank you. It's, you're living the message. You're not just preaching. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that a lot of people that um, want to become investors or that think about becoming investing sometimes... They get stuck in the how. I, I don't believe this. This is not real, like blah, 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 blah. But it's, I'm telling you guys, it is so possible. I mean, don't believe, like like you said, I loved shopping. I still do. I still love shopping. And you know, we just went to New York a couple of weeks ago and I saw this really nice Chanel bag and Andrew's like, buy it, buy it, buy it. You know, he's like instigating. And I'm like, no, I got to pay off my No, debt. this is the best. I got to tell you guys, right? So we're there to celebrate Farah's book and the whole success um, it's up on the NASDAQ and we have some time to kill. And I'm like, okay, what can we do? So I'm like, uh, you know, we're going to go to Bergdorf. Yeah, you've never been to me. New York and you've never been to Bergdorf. <laughs> you really haven't lived life yet. Yeah. Right. I mean, because literally what you get to see is the type of people that walk in and the type of things that they can drop at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so Ms. Gina is looking at this beautiful Chanel bag, $9,700. Right. And I'm like, Ms. Gina, Think about it this way. You should get to a point in life that it's not whether, uh, if you want to buy the bag, buy the bag. Mm -hmm. But that should not be a financial decision. Exactly. Meaning that you're in a place in life. Some people will say, well, why would you ever spend that much money on a bag? I'm saying that if you spend it or not, that's your choice. Right. But do you have the choice? Correct. Most people don't have the choice. And But I saw you do something very difficult for you. Right. I saw you look at the bag, go circle it three times, pray to it, <laughs> and then you walked away from it. Yes. You could have bought the bag. Yes. Why not? Because I have goals and I want to be get to the point that you said, like when you said, why not stop there? It's because I want to get to that point where, yeah, it's probably obnoxious to buy a $10,000 bag for most people. Like it, it is. I get it. But I want to get to the point where I can just buy it and know that it's okay. And, know that and I, not have to think about and it. And I have to think about it. I'm not there yet. I need to get there. But having said that, right, and I'm glad we're talking about this because this is called delayed gratification, mm -hmm. right, is that if you truly want to be wealthy, you want to be in a place where you don't have to think about, you know, having 30, 40, 50,000 net coming in a month, mm -hmm. right, you have to practice some 
delayed gratification, yes. right? And I can say this with certainty, you're the worst at it, right? I mean, you're the, because you love shoes, you like all the nice things, right. right? And I think a lot of it comes from, I mean, in some ways I have to curtail myself, yeah. right? Because when you come from a place where you're like, oh my God, right? You could just do window shopping, which is you didn't have the guts to even walk in the store because you clearly knew you could not afford it. And your credit card certainly would not let you afford it because it wouldn't go through at one time, right? right? But yet today, at least the credit card is going to go through. We know right. that, right? So yet it's that practice of saying, no, I'm not going to buy this. It's more important for me to build the property I'm building in Florida. Okay. It's more important for me to get some of the debt down. It's okay. more important for me to start paying down my loans from college, right? Is that something still hard for you? Very. But I guess the right mindset where that bag is going to be there you know, a year from now or six months, from, whenever I can afford it. But my immediate right now, like I told you, is we're, we're working on flips. And, you know, we don't borrow the whole money. We just borrow the purchase price and then we put our own money to do the flip. So those $10,000, like you said, right now they went to Florida because right. we're building houses over there. So that's where the money is going. I can always, once I finish that property and refinance it, that's going to be my treat. I'm going to go back and get that back. Okay, got it. Yeah, and, and and the reason I'm bringing this up because sometimes, you know, we all want nice stuff. And for everybody, things may be a vacation. It may be your kids. You want to send to private school. It's whatever it is for you, right? It's very different. And we're talking about a Chanel bag because everybody can relate to it, especially women, right? Um, it's For me, maybe it's buying airplane, maybe buying cars. I mean, it's the same thing. But yet every single time, so we were laughing about this couple um, about three, four days ago, which was that uh, you asked me a question when I bought the Ferrari, right? You're like, uh, hey, how much does this cost? Yeah. And this becomes important to understand that, again, I mean, something like that would cost about 300000 And that's a cheap Ferrari, mind you, right? That's a cheap Ferrari. Mm -hmm. uh, quote, unquote, a real Ferrari, if you buy brand spanking new you're going to spend about, say, five, $600,000. That's just what it is. How many properties right? are those? <laughs> That's exactly what it boils down to. If you're going to basically buy a car, let's say, for 100000 what is your payment going to be? Let's say it's going to be uh, $1,200, bucks, right? If it's going to be 1200 bucks, how many properties do you need? You need about three properties to pay for a $1,200 car payment. So if you have a $5,000 car payment, then that means you need 10 houses. And it better not be the only 10 houses you own because this is money that is stupid money you're spending, right? As long as you realize that, hey, I'm just splurging. It's okay to splurge. Nobody's saying you can't splurge, but you have to first have your house in order first and then you go splurge, right? Correct. And you splurge at the level of which at which you can afford. I saw a Ferrari literally at the store and 700000 Could I buy it? Sure. Right. But I'm like, no, you know, I'm going to buy a faster airplane first. Literally, this was a decision I made standing there and Vince was with me and Vince is like, man, this is kind of crazy. You're deciding between an airplane and Ferrari. I'm like, yeah, because the airplane gets me back and forth to Florida uh, even faster. But you do realize, Andrew, that most people are their issue is not deciding between a Ferrari and a plane. But, you know, but here's you, the thing. But you got there. I want to be like you when I grow up. <laughs> exactly. So it's just more properties. Yeah. Like literally it's more properties, less debt, right? And properties that start getting paid down. Yeah. So you have more cash flow coming in. But talking about that, because this is a figure which is a lot of times people don't realize. With 50 properties performing, what is that net cash flow? About 35000 a month. 
net. Yeah. Thirty five thousand a month. Yeah. You realize thirty five thousand a month. That's close to about four hundred some thousand dollars for the year. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. You could afford a Chanel bag. Yeah, but I want to buy more property. Okay. And I already have two Chanel bags. Two Chanel bags, right. <laughs> so, no, I mean, the reason I'm bringing this up is because for somebody in the audience listening, my point three years ago to you was, I'm like, Machina, listen, you have more shoes, you have more stuff than most people can ever dream of, right? Quit buying this stuff and start redirecting some of the money that you earn, some of the effort, some of the stress towards, rather than figuring out how do I pay the credit card bill for the stuff I bought, which is going to depreciate in value. Now you're going to start buying stuff that's going to appreciate in value and that's going to create cash flow, right? Guys, think about this. Unless you are dead and you're six feet deep, right? There's always going to be stress. If you do nothing, the stress is going to be of doing nothing. I had to take out almost $300,000 a debt to make, put myself through law school. Because of what I've done and the way that my life was changed three years ago, my daughter is in law school and she has no debt because I'm able to pay her law school. That alone to me is an accomplishment because that is what I want. I want my kids to do better than me. And that's like what I've always wanted. And I'm, I'm living it. I might not have like the five paid off houses yet, but I'm getting there. And I'm thanks to you and to the mentoring that you personally have done with me. My mindset has shifted to dash and out back and wait pay my daughter's law school instead. No, and, and that's such a, such a huge accomplishment. I literally was having fun at Miss Gina's expense because I could really see this, you know, struggle of, you know, looking at the bag, circling the bag, wearing it, and then do I look good or do I not? You ask a salesperson, you know, hey, how does it look on it? What are you going to say? Oh, no, 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 you look so bad in that bag, right? But I mean, it's, it's kind of funny that it's at the end of the day, the delayed gratification maybe three years ago was, do, you, do I buy a $1,000 bag? Today, it's $10,000 bag. And at that time, you could have bought the $1,000 bag. Today, you can buy the 10000 Yet, what's more important is to keep building your business, which is what we're talking about, which is your law firm, right. and to keep building wealth with real estate. You know? right. So a lot of times, I think what is great about uh, what you've done is you're not telling other people what to do. You're living the message and you get to grow as you help your clients. Would you say that's one of your biggest accomplishments? I think that's what makes me the right attorney, Andrew. Like I can actually advise my clients not only as an attorney, but as an investor. And I think that's what a lot of my clients like. And that's why I have, you know, some of the biggest wholesalers in the state that come to me because I can identify and I can kind of point out the areas where like, you know, when they say, well, what do you think? I can with confidence say, this is what I would do. I don't tell them what to do. I just advise them. At the end of the day, it's their choice. And I'm here to facilitate whatever choice they decide to make. But I think they really appreciate that I'm not just an attorney. I can also advise them, especially a lot of wholesalers that are out of state. So having that knowledge of real estate, living it, just like you, you know, one of the reasons why I always tell you that the minute I heard you speak and that after that first day, I knew you weren't just this, give me 50,000, here's a DVD, because you, the passion shows. You live it. You have it. You have like over 200, 200 uh, houses. So obviously, you know what you're talking about. And I no, and we live the message. Right? You, exactly. I mean, there's no, there's one thing we never do is I would never tell you what to do and me not do it myself, right? Exactly. Because that's the biggest scam ever. Oh, it's good for you, just not good for me. If I ask you three big mistakes that people make with wholesales, what would they be? Well, the first one is not hiring me. Okay. Of course. 
The second one is definitely make sure you have the right contract. I see this happen so often where they're like, oh, you know, they put on the contract that they're going to pay all closing fees. Well, all closing fees means you're paying for the other side's attorney too. That's not what you meant. So get the right contract. And the third one is decide right off the bat if you want this to be an assignment, a double close, or how you're going to get your fee uh, made so that the transaction from the beginning can be structured correctly. Because when you bring other attorneys into the deal, and this happens so often, I just have one going on right now, other attorneys do not know. If I didn't know, and I was already an experienced attorney with real estate and a realtor, and I didn't know what a wholesale was, I know a lot of these attorneys don't. Not that they're bad attorneys. They're good attorneys. They, I'm sure they do thousands of transactions, but they don't do these type of transactions. So they can literally kill the deal for you because they think they're helping you, but at the end of the day, they're kind of messing it up. No, I mean, so the big thing is having, uh, and all kidding aside, right, having the right attorney to, especially if you are a real estate investor, you're buying a lot of properties, you're doing a lot of flips, you're buying a lot of properties for rentals, uh, you're doing a lot of wholesales, it is critical. Think about this. If you're basically on a Formula One team, do you think they use the tires that you put on your Toyota, right? Or you put on your little Mercedes uh, driving around to a grocery store? No. What do you do? You have specialized tires. You have specialized mechanics, right? You have specialized people for every piece. It's exactly the same thing. You want to be a pro, work with the pros. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Yeah. One of the biggest things that I uh, want to mention is do your due diligence because I've had wholesalers say, oh, I'm buying this property for $1,000 from this person. They just want $1,000 and then I'm going to wholesale it to someone else for $40,000. So I'm going to make you know, $39,000 out of the deal. And then we obviously do our due diligence and we find out there's back taxes, there's liens. So now your $1,000, even the $40,000 you were going to sell for is not, not there anymore because they have a water bill of 10000 They right. have taxes of, you know. But see, that's where that's a lot of times, I say this all the time, get a good attorney, have them figure this damn thing out, yeah. right? Why are you going to do the work? Let the attorney, let a good title company do the work that they work with a good attorney. Right. So it's really, really important hiring a specialized person, specialized attorney. Number two was you said the right contract. So let's say I'm listening to this. I'm like, OK, this is all well and good. But how do I get the right contract? We can provide it. Okay. We can provide the so right they contract. can contact your law firm. We'll yes. put the information, information. Uh, with the podcast and they can reach out to you. And then we will give you a contract for a double close, an assignment, a subject to a seller. Fine. We have it all. Great. And then uh, as far as deciding if I'm going to do an assignment, double close or subject to or whatever the case may be, let's just say I'm new, mm -hmm. right? And I don't know what to do. Uh, I present the scenario, hey, I have a property under contract. I've been under contract for um, 110000 right? I think I have a bunch of buyers for one fifty. Mm -hmm. Now, should I be doing an assignment? Should I be doing a double close? Should I be doing, I don't even understand this, right? I bumble because a lot of times people will start working on deals. They bumble into a good deal. Yeah. And then they don't even know what they have. How to put it together. Right? Yeah. They don't know how to put it together. Will your office and you help me do that? Absolutely. That's one of the, we, we do that for investors all the time because sometimes they might say, well, I'm going to assign it. But then, you know, I start kind of asking questions and you know, then we figure out, well, you can't assign this for X, Y, and Z. We're going to have to do a double close or vice versa, you know, because my job is to get you to where you want to go. So you're telling me you want to make 40000 in here. I'm going to find a way to make you make 40000 That is the least risky and that is 100% legal and that's to your benefit. And that's, guys, important. The job of a great attorney 
is not to tell you what not to do. The job of a great attorney is to figure out, okay, what does my client want and what is the best way of doing it and what can I teach them? A good attorney should be teaching you lots of stuff. Hopefully you're so good that you teach the attorney that you work with lots of things. So you both get to grow, not only financially, but in terms of your knowledge base in that relationship. Because right. this is, working with a good attorney is a long-term relationship. And I mean, I literally, you know, this is not a hidden thing. I mean, there have been times where I've been mad at Gina because she won't do what I want her to do, right? And it's okay. It's a professional relationship. We may be friends on a personal basis, but at the end of the day, her job is to say, hey, listen, in my professional opinion, Andrew, this makes more sense. At the end of the day, it's your butt, right? Exactly. Um, so, okay, moving on. Next thing is flips. Yes. What are you seeing happening in the flip market from your perspective as the market has changed? A couple months ago, I would have been like, uh, flips are probably not going to get produced the greatest right now. But most real estate during the spring and summer times is when, you know, the flips can be, a, you know, a little more lucrative. Right now, I think the flips are doing really well, at least the, the contracts that have come through my door. The problem is, and I always tell my investors, when you're going to sell your flip, sell it as is. And the reason I say that is because you 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 did a flip, right? That I'm sure you've fixed everything you could possibly think, but a buyer is always going to find something wrong with it. And you know what your bottom line is. If you are like, I need to make this much from this flip, period, do it as is. Sell it as is. Even if it's an FHA, they come back with FHA requirements. We can work through those, but it avoids a lot of stress. It avoids a lot of problems, and you still end up making what you wanted to because as the attorney, I could just be like, well, this is as is, but in lieu of you know playing fair and getting this deal done, my client will agree to give you know X amount of credit. So let me challenge you that on a little bit because if I put as is, the other agent is going to go nuts mm -hmm. a little bit because that's going to be the biggest problem. And then the other attorney is going to go nuts because most of the buyers that are going to buy the property are going to be first-time home buyers, yep. especially in the starter price range, right. right? Don't they get scared, in your opinion, if you put as-is in there? No, because this is where the agents come in, at least you know what I've taught my clients. The agent should talk and be like, listen, it's as-is, but my client will consider any repairs or any credits. The pro Like I tell my clients, um, I the flip we just did. I told her, I'm like, you know, we'll consider anything that makes sense. But don't come with the, oh, the knob on the door is broken. Replace the knob. Like We can't make it a new house. Exactly. Right. Okay. Exactly. Right. So I think when you just say as is, and then between the agents, you guys talk and say, but my client will consider, you know, we just don't want to deal with the little petty stuff. So you're really saying setting up the right expectations exactly. for the buyer. Right? Exactly. That, hey, guys, you're not buying a brand new house. So if there's two screws that are loose somewhere, uh, you know, don't go nuts about it. But if it's something beyond that, you obviously are going to get an inspection done and we'll consider it. Exactly. Okay, got it. So the second thing is in terms of, we were just talking about it, right? Uh, flips wise in the Chicago market, mm -hmm. um, what do you think uh, people who know what they're doing on flips, um, what kind of profit are they making? I think the average profit right now can be anywhere from 30 to we just did one and got 86. So I say from 30 to 100, depending. I mean, 100 is more on the like, probably not that common, but 30 to 50 is what I'm seeing um, on flips right now. And obviously, I just see what the client gets. I don't know if there's, you know, more expenses that, that they haven't that paid that they or haven't they need paid, to be paid. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I was going to say about if you know what you're doing and you can net out after all expenses on a property which is less than 250, 
about 36 to 45, yeah. I think you'd hit a home run deal. Yeah, that's, right? that's the average. Especially if you didn't have your own money tied in. So, okay, last, cash flow. What do you have to say about that? If you follow the program, um, your cash flow should be about four to $500 a month. Net. Per door. Yeah, per door. Per door, yeah. right? Um, for us, like we, you know, we find that the best cash flow sometimes is in the areas that people wouldn't think. For example, we have properties in Calumet City that cash flow amazingly. And then we have- You're making six, $700 a door. Yeah, right? and those properties. Now, let me ask you this. Are most of those properties um, like housing voucher program properties or are they regular market tenants? They're regular market tenants. We don't have any Section 8 uh, tenants thus far. Thus far, okay. Yeah. You're open to it, but yeah, you just we have- Yeah, we just haven't had market any. T- yeah. And market tenants are paying that kind of rent. Yes. So it's about, uh, what she's talking about is the delta between the buy price, the rehab price, which is your all-in cost, versus the relative rents, right? The relative rents in C areas are always going to be way higher than they're going to be in an A area or a B area, right? So that's something uh, that you're doing. Well, Ms. Gina, anything else that I missed? want to encourage everyone, if you can, if you're thinking about being a real estate investor, if you already are, if you want to know how, you know, you could have the issue of deciding from between a Ferrari and a plane, you know, you definitely should come to the next three day. I think it's July. No, between a more expensive Ferrari yeah, and a cheaper yes, Ferrari. Between a more expensive <laughs> Ferrari. Yes, exactly. I think you should definitely come to the next three day, which totally transformed me. And I'm not getting paid to do this. I do this because I love it. And I really want to educate people. And I love the challenges. So if you have a very difficult deal, please bring it to me. I love learning. And I think it's it's awesome because like Andrew said, I, I grow, you grow, we all grow. And it's it's just great. Um, the next three day, I believe, is July right. 21, 22, and 23. So set those days up. Make sure you, like, set those days up. And there, we do three, three, three days a year. So if you can't right. make it to that one, there'll be others. But, guys, it, it really will change your life. Think about your retirement. That's, that's all it took for me to think about what is my retirement. If I'm not here today, what's going to happen with the people that have to kind of succeed me? Like, are they going to be able to take care of my stuff? Am I going to leave debt for them? Am I going to help them be more secure. What's going to happen? Answer your, yourself that question. And if you're like, well, I got two, $3 million that they'll get. Okay. Maybe you don't need it. I mean, I still think that's kind of low, but if you are like, yeah, what about it? I, if I disappear today, what's going to happen? Then you have to come to the next three days because I guarantee you, you won't regret it. Guys, having said that, Attorney Gina Diaz with Diaz Case Law. And what is the number for the office? Uh, 773-579- 0140. Our office is located in Berwyn and in Lombard. And repeat that number again. Sure. 773-579-0140. Reach out if you want a contract, you want any help. Um, And one thing Gina's always done is they help before they bill. Uh, and they've always bent over backwards, uh, especially if you're doing anything as it relates to real estate or immigration. For sure. So um, for everybody listening, the entire Cashflow Squad, guys, thank you. Please share. Please uh, show the love because that's how we get to grow. And we will talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Cashflow for Life podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you are listening to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with your friends. Achieving financial freedom is all about creating the necessary cash flow in your life. 
Our team has designed an entire ecosystem for you to be able to not only become a successful real estate investor, but for you to build higher cash flows month after month. Join our community at www.nationalreinvest.com to see which event is coming up that you can be a part of and how you can be a part of our community. Once again, it's www.nationalreinvest.com. We will see you on the next episode.